You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. A leaked report describes 11th-hour Russian influence operations during last year's U.S. elections. An alleged leaker is already charged and in custody. The U.K.'s investigation into last week's terror attacks continues online as well as in physical space. Apple hints it's helping out. The attackers seem to have been known to authorities. In its continuing campaign of online inspiration, ISIS claims responsibility for the destruction of a church in the Philippines and a lethal standoff in Australia. Violent anarchist groups seem to be following the ISIS playbook in cyberspace. Some thoughts on wolves. And the Dark Overlord is back. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, June 6, 2017. There's been another leak of a highly classified NSA report, but in this case, an alleged leaker has already been taken into custody and charged. Late yesterday, The Intercept published a document taken from an NSA study of Russian influence operations targeting the U.S. elections. It's noteworthy in that it indicates that such operations continued, apparently unabated, well after the former administration's naming and shaming of Russian intelligence services and U.S. President Obama's cut-it-out-or-else warning to Russian President Putin. An alleged leaker has already been taken into custody and charged. The U.S. Department of Justice announced yesterday that on Saturday the FBI interviewed and arrested a 25-year-old U.S. Air Force veteran, Reality Lee Winner, who since leaving the service in February had been employed in the state of Georgia by federal contractor Pluribus International. The Justice Department says she'd been charged with removing classified material from a government facility and mailing it to a news outlet in violation of 18 U.S.C. Section 739E. She is alleged to have printed and removed the classified report from a secure facility less than a month ago on May 9th. 
Authorities learned of the leak last week when a news organization, unnamed in reports but presumably The Intercept, began asking questions about the material. The Intercept has refused to name its source, and in any case it's likely they received the material anonymously. Internal evidence in the document itself, including printer dots and evidence that it had been folded, suggested to FBI investigators that the leaked report had been physically printed. This narrowed the search down rapidly, and Miss Winner was questioned and taken into custody on June 4th. The story is, of course, developing, and we'll continue to follow it here. For many of us following the goings-on of the security world, Russia has certainly been top of mind lately. The folks at Endgame were curious to know about the general public's perceptions of Russia and the ability of the U.S. to defend against them, so they surveyed over 2,000 people to try to find out. Andrea Little-Limbago is chief social scientist at Endgame. Um, over half of Americans are concerned about uh, influence within the Russian influence within the White House, and then it also had you know, the aspect on insider threat um, as well as a, as a key concern. Um, that's something that often gets overlooked when focusing on some of these things, and um, that you know, manifests itself as well. There's the aspect of feeling that the Russia, you know, Russia is a bigger threat now than it was during the Cold War, which on the one hand isn't terribly surprising. You know, it, if, you, if we had taken the survey you know, a few years ago, say right after OPM, I'm sure many would say that China was the biggest threat. So what, what happens with a lot of these cases is that whatever the, the most recent, you know, it's, it's um, sort of a cognitive bias where the most recent events remain the ones that are overestimated as far as the likelihood. So. We don't have school kids doing duck and cover exercises, you know, like like they did in the Cold War. So it, it seemed, uh, I, I'm glad you, you mentioned that. It seemed to me perhaps a little cognitive bias, a little disconnect, a, you know, a fuzzy memory of, of what the actual fear was during the Cold War. That, that's my interpretation of it as well, absolutely. And, you know, if, if all of a sudden we had, you know, if North Korea, you know, if there was another Sony, some, uh, an event similar to Sony, you know, North Korea could very well be the one that pops up. So... Um, on the one hand, you know, that's that's why it's important to do these surveys at some sort of temporal consistency to see how it changes over time. I think that's where you get a lot of insight. Um, so it's useful for this you know, for this one time stamp um, to see how the, the public feels now. Also, you know, if, if we were to gauge a little further and dive deeper into you know, you know their understanding of what you know, what the Cold War was actually like and so forth, um, you know, I'm sure some different uh, analyses would pop out of that as well. Um, you know, another you know, another interesting thing is that you know, even during the Cold War, towards the end. When there was a little bit more of a detente, you know, Japan actually was the number one threat for Americans towards the very end of the Cold War. Public perception and, and you know, sort of the reality don't always go hand in hand. Yeah, to that point, there's an interesting statistic in the report. Uh, the question was, do you think Russia hacked the 2016 U.S. election? Uh, and people came up pretty evenly split with their response to that. Right. And I, I think that you know, is pretty indicative of just how divided our country is right now uh, along party lines. It's one of those things that gets at the, you know, the information that people are consuming and sort of re- reinforcing people's own biases. And that's, that's what we tend to, you know, everyone tends to read the stuff that reinforces their own perception. And so it is, you know, we're, we're still, we're a very divided country right now, I, I think, and that that's reflected in the survey. You know, one of my, one of my you know, recent pet peeves is, you know, if you ask about, you know, what's it even mean to have an election hacked? You know, on the one hand, you know, the DNC and the DCCC, you know, they actually had a, a cyber attack, a computer network attack. Um, but that's, that's different than the information operations. Uh, like, you know, similar to what we you just saw in the French election. You know, it was, I think it was intentionally left as a, as a broad question, but it's one of those things that I think as we move forward, we need to be more specific with the, with the words. And it's not just semantics. I think it has good you know, implications on how we as a country respond to those things. Um, how you respond to a cyber attack, which could be part of an information operation, may be different than how we respond to information operations that may or may not have a cyber attack associated with them. That's Andrea Little-Limbago from Endgame. 
The full report is on the blog section of their website. It's called A Majority of Americans Think Russia is More Dangerous Now Than During the Cold War. The UK terrorists appear to have been very well-known wolves indeed, one of them even having appeared on a television documentary about radicalization and having been in close association with an extremist British Muslim cleric long known to authorities. Apple's CEO Tim Cook hinted yesterday that his company had supplied investigators with metadata relevant to the suspect's activities online, and British authorities continue to follow the attacker's spore to possible collaborators and enablers. ISIS continues its efforts to inspire, posting video online of the caliphate's soldiers destroying a church in the Philippines. The terrorist group has also claimed responsibility for a murderous standoff in Melbourne, Australia, an incident that, absent the caliphate's claims, could easily have been lost in the sad background noise of ordinary violent crime. ISIS isn't alone in seeking to inspire and recruit online. Violent anarchist groups, particularly ones originating in Greece, appear to be going down a similar path in cyberspace. That phenomenon remains young and small, but will bear watching. Such howling seems largely overt, which has induced some observers to call into question calls for restrictions on end-to-end encryption, like those issued Sunday by British Prime Minister May. While command and control might well benefit from encryption, mass marketing of ideas probably doesn't. Our use of the tropes lone wolf and known wolf perhaps calls for some explanation, as at least one reader has objected that calling someone a wolf could be taken as an honorific, wolves being intelligent predators and, of course, the immediate ancestors of our beloved domestic dogs. After all, sports teams are often given names like Timberwolves, Wolfpack, and so on. Clearly, we have no such honorific intent. Killers like those who rampaged against innocents in London Saturday merit no respect and even less honor. But the wolf usage seems to us to have a place. Inspiration seems analogous to the howling of a pack to its dispersed members, and known wolf conveniently rhymes with lone wolf. So think of the evil wolves of European folklore and understand that it's no honor to be compared to them. Finally, the Dark Overlord has returned. Remember him? His Dark Lordship is best known for an attempted shakedown of Netflix. This week, the Dark Overlord is said to have leaked eight episodes of an ABC show on Pirate Bay after the network refused to pay extortion. So far, the torrent caper looks like a flopperoo. There are no Nielsens for torrents, but Bleeping Computer, as of last night, had found only three people trying to download the program. What was the program? A game show. Steve Harvey's Thunderdome, for all of you out there in television land. Happy viewing, but do wait until your local ABC affiliate airs Mr. Harvey's work. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. 
Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm joined once again by Rick Howard. He's the chief security officer at Palo Alto Networks, and he also heads up Unit 42, which is their threat intel team. Uh, Rick, welcome back. Um, You've been having some conversations with some folks in government that uh, have raised some concerns on your end. Yeah, I got a little couple of raised eyebrows over here, and uh, and the reason is I've had the opportunity to talk to several city, state, and federal C-level executives about how they are thinking just about cloud deployments, both SaaS applications like Box and Office 365 and Salesforce and IaaS and PaaS uh, deployments in cloud spaces like Google, Amazon, and Microsoft. Now, it has been clear in these discussions that these government leaders totally get the value of moving at least a portion of their digital workspaces to these cloud environments. The economies of scale are too much to be ignored. But what was alarming to me was that many of them feel and stated outright that they thought security certifications from third-party auditors on these cloud providers, uh, programs like the FedRAMP program for the federal government, that is all the security they need to make these deployments. And I have to tell you, that cannot be further from the truth. Programs like FedRAMP certify that the cloud service provider has a decent internal security process to protect their own environments. It does nothing to protect the data that you store there. It has no individuality about what you're trying to do with your cloud deployment. So the thing to remember here is that the security of cloud environments is a shared responsibility. Cloud providers protect their systems, but the customers are responsible to protect the data they store there. So my recommendation to all government security leaders and to all network defenders is to choose a cloud vendor who can give you the same security services that they are already giving you behind your perimeter and in your data centers for all of your cloud deployments. So what kinds of questions should these folks be asking? Well, uh, every cloud provider is a little bit different, okay? And if they get FedRAMP certified, like the one I called out here, I would definitely get a list of all the things they are certified for. But when you start looking at that list, and you can look it up on the the DHS website, all the things that FedRAMP searches for, it is basic security process like do they have cameras on the data center doors? Do they check their employees? You know, all this basic security stuff that every company goes through. It has nothing to do with, say, if I put Palo Alto Network's personal data up there, what are they doing to uh, secure that? Down the cyber kill chain, right? So there's nothing there for that. So that's what they have to worry about. All right. Good information. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta 
Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. <laughs>